you ever had somebody in your life that you could look back on and go, man, if it wasn't for her or if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be where I am today? Right? Somebody says, sure, that, that's kind of a dumb question. I, I, mean, I think all of us have, have people that we look back on that uh, have been a part of our lives that, that walked us through. It might have been somebody that has been in our life for a long time, for years. They function as a mentor. They, we, we go to them and we've learned from them. For some of us, you might have had some people along the way that in the midst of a crazy time in life or a tragedy or some deep questions or just a pivotal moment, they were a providential relationship that God brought and showed up, and they weren't way back into your history. You're not walking with them now, but they came and they spoke truth into your life that changed everything for you. And you could look back and go, yep, that was a moment and that was a person that changed me. For some of us, I know this is true for me, some of us might have people in our lives that we've never actually met before. An author, uh, maybe somebody that the things that they've written about their life or the things that they've learned as they've walked with the Lord and they've written down the books and you've read it and, and you read all of the stuff that they read and they've been a pivotal uh, or a providential relationship for you as it's changed your life. For me, one of those people, I've had a bunch, I'll share with some of them to you today. One of them was Dr. Gary Gramling. Uh, he was a professor at Howard Payne when I was a student there uh, as, a, as a young youth ministry student. I started in youth ministry when I was 17 years old. Um, nobody knew that. In fact, the little small country church I was serving uh, the, on the last Sunday night of every month, after the Sunday night church service, we would get in the little church van in this caravan from this little country town, and we would drive to early Texas, because that was town, um, 30 minutes away, and go to the skating rink. And I remember they, I, it was my 18th birthday, they brought out a cake, a couple of youth workers, and they were like, happy birthday. And there were other adults that were like, wait, what? Like, You're just turning 18 now? It's like, yeah. And they started processing, through, wait, you took a bus of our kids to like camp when you were 17? We're like, ah, talk to the pastor about that. You voted, you know, so should ask those questions then. So going through that as a 17, 18, 19-year-old and 20-year-old youth minister in a little small country town that has a country way of living and a country way of seeing life, and I came from Colleen, Texas, Fort Hood, with a very multicultural and eclectic kind of world, it was it was different, to, to say the least. And so I had this guy, Gary Grambling, who was not just a professor, youth ministry professor, but he was my advisor. And so we would talk about classes, but I could sit in his office, I'd talk to him about this is happening, and this is happening, and I'm trying to figure this out. And I had this sounding board and a guy in my life that God used to help me walk through some early years in ministry and figure some things out. One of the greatest things he ever did for me, I've told our students this story before, I've told almost every kid I've mentored this story before, because it was this transforming to me. Dr. Graham and I have a great relationship even today. Even then we did. And I was a youth minister. We'd been talking about youth ministry. We had a disciple now at our little country church. And so it was a Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, full day. Well, we had at that time of the year a, a class that I was in. It was called Youth Ministry Workshop. And it was a, a night class uh, just for two, two weeks. Every night for two weeks and you got like one hour of credit. And they brought in different speakers, different youth ministers about different topics and you had to write a one-page paper about each topic. So it was like a 10-page paper, but you, you couldn't do it in advance. You had to wait and hear it and then write it. So our last night of our, we have a guy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Maybe it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. I had Disciple Now right after that. Big weekend, youth ministry. And I'm like, I'm going to have a hard time getting this paper done. 
I could do it, but I've got a thousand other things that in my mind are more important. So I went into his office, sat down, and was talking about Disciple Now. He knew it was coming, youth ministry guy, on my side, on my team. And I said, hey, you know, we've got this paper due, and we're going to finish the class, and I've got Disciple Now, and the paper's due first thing Monday morning. Can I turn mine in Tuesday morning so I can finish it Monday night? Very reasonable question in my mind. And he looked at me, and he said this. He said, oh, he says things like this, oh, brother, because that's what he calls people, oh, brother. I wish you, hadn't asked, wish you wouldn't ask me to compromise my integrity like that. <coughs> what? Excuse me? He said, well, those are the rules. That's the syllabus. And, and you know, I, I, can't, I can't give you special privilege. I can't give somebody else. It's a, it's a matter of integrity. And, I, I mean, I was, I was speechless. But I walked out, did Disciple Now, came in late Sunday night after Disciple Now, wrote that paper, stayed up all night long like I probably would have done anyway, just playing video games instead, Got that paper, turned it in, but I've never forgotten that because he was this relationship in my life where somebody spoke truth to me. And it was hard to hear, but I've said that quote to students and, and when they've asked me questions that are, that are integrity compromised, I say, I can't, I can't do that for you. Please don't ask me to do that. And uh, I always like hope, man, I hope I had the same power that it did on me. And it probably didn't, but we, ha- we have those relationships. Well, three weeks ago, we started a series called Grow Up. And in week one, we talked about faith. And we said, we've got to have a big faith. We have to have a trust in God. And we, we drilled backwards and said, really, when it comes to obedience, you'll only be obedient as far as your faith is big. What I mean by that is, and we said this in week one, if, if you know what the Scripture teaches, most of us know, hey, right, and here's wrong. And we only do it if we really believe that God will come through. And so our obedience is really tied to how big our faith is. So a part of growing up spiritually is learning how to have faith that's big, a trust in God. Now, if that's kind of a weak area for you, you might go back, that podcast is up, and listen to that, because we're not going to go back and redo it all. Last week, we talked about the next step of that. Once we know that, once we've set faith and we go, hey, I trust God, then we can understand that doing the Word is more important than knowing the Word. And so last week, we kind of dived in, dove into that and, and talked about it's not just reading our Bible, which is very important, but it's taking it and reading it for application and going and doing. Well, today and this week with our kids, what I want you to think about is this, is that God uses relationships to grow our faith. So we've got a big faith. We're aiming towards that. We're trying to do more than we know. And this week, we're talking about the people that God has brought into our life that has shaped us. Almost everybody's faith story, not almost, everybody's faith story, if they start to tell you about the journey that they have that brought them from where they were to to who they are now in Christ, they're going to tell you about some people along the way that impacted their life. Because we don't grow in our faith in a relationship bubble. There are people that have come in and they've, they've helped us. So if you think about your story, and if you even started to share your testimony of what your life was like before Jesus, how you met Jesus, and what your life is like now, it, that story would be littered with providential relationships that God placed in your life to help you through those times. I mean, for me, the first group of people were my parents, obviously. I mean, they're the ones that, for us, we grew up at another time back when there was Sunday night church. Some of y'all remember that. If you grew up in church in, in Texas when you were young, you went Sunday morning, you went Sunday night, and you went Wednesday night. And, and for, in our family, that was a non-negotiable. I mean, there was no questions asked. It didn't matter if the Cowboys were playing. It didn't matter anything. Um, I mean, Super Bowl Sunday. 
the Cowboys were playing, we probably would skip, but that's about it. But, I mean, if other teams were playing the Super Bowl, my parents were like, we're not from Phoenix. You know, let's go to church. And we're like, no. And so my parents kind of instilled in us this corporate worship mentality that, that we, we joined together the people of God. And not just that, but in other things, my parents were this really influential people in my life to help me in my faith. When I finished sixth grade, my dad was transferred as an army pilot to Mannheim, Germany. And I left the town that I lived in all my life and to start, to start life as a seventh grader in Mannheim. And I remember going to Quest. It was the junior high youth group at the, at the little church there on base. And there was a guy named Dan Hash, redheaded youth minister. And, and what I remembered about him, and I've even tracked him down on Facebook now, I remember him being like this ultimate Frisbee God. Like he was Mr. Ultimate Frisbee. And so before Quest and other times we'd get together and play Ultimate Frisbee. And for a seventh grader, who didn't really have a solid faith and didn't want to be going to church and things like that, to have this guy in my life who, at the time, it seemed like cared a whole lot about Ultimate Frisbee. I look back now and realize Ultimate Frisbee was a, a tool to the gospel, even though he loved it. He was this guy that came to my life, and I could go out and play games with some other students and throw this Frisbee back and forth, and then step into Bible study, and it seemed normal and comfortable and real. It's an incredible relationship. Had him for a couple years in Germany, moved back to Colleen and met a guy, which many of you know, if you, if you come here regularly, Dr. Jimmy Myers, who is uh, the owner of the Timothy Center, and I have him come in, his book back here, Fearless Parenting, we've got back there. If you haven't uh, picked it up, you could grab a copy. Uh, he was my youth minister my last three years in, in high school. And, and I remember having this guy in my life that did some transformative moments we had, and I might have told the story before, we had a youth Sunday. And every teenager, well, not every, most teenagers picked somebody that they would shadow for that day. So you might have picked a deacon, and you went with a deacon, and you went down and did the visitor center and greeted people, or you might have worked parking lot duty. Uh, you might have shadowed a Sunday school teacher, and they talked to you about their prep, and then you went and, and, and sat through their lesson. At that time, I started to think that God was calling me into youth ministry, and I had this relationship with Jimmy who was this providential relationship for me. And so I signed up and said, I want to do youth minister, as did my good friend Nathan. And so he said, okay, I'm going to take both of you. And so we got to sit, skip Sunday school that morning. We got to go sit in his office and talk about youth ministry. But right before that, he said, well, here's the, here's, he told me, he said, here's the problem I've got. We have no pastor right now at, at the time of, of our church life. And he said, uh, and so obviously nobody has signed up to be pastor. Nobody is wanting to shadow somebody that doesn't exist. But for you Sunday, one of you has to preach the Sunday night service. And so he said, I'm going to have you do that. You can come shadow me, youth ministry, but then you're going to preach on Sunday night. That was, that was not an exciting time in my relationship with him because I was scared to death. And I, to this day, remember, I was probably 15 years old, standing up at that big pulpit, and I was holding on to that pulpit for dear, to keep me standing. I mean, for dear life. Like, my legs were shaking behind as I, I probably preached the, the worst sermon that there's ever been preached in, in the history of mankind. And, and I remember doing that, but that being a formative moment in my life that began to grow me. And here, here's the cool thing. On October 8th, on a Sunday morning, I've got somebody coming to speak with you guys because I had the opportunity to go back to First Baptist Colleen for the very first time and preach to their Sunday morning services come full circle because of a providential relationship in my life of a man who loved me and loved me well and walked me towards Jesus. And it hasn't always just been youth ministers and pastors and parents. It's been peers. 
when I was here at Georgetown several years ago, we took a group to Brazil on a mission trip. Now, I'm, I'm a fairly type A person. I, I, I mean, I've got plans and checklists, and I, I want to be ahead of the game. And so we're taking a group of teenagers out of the country, and that's a, that's a pretty stressful thing. Now that I have two kids of my own, and once, you know, we had babies in our home, I got a lot more relaxed. I realized I can't control a whole lot. Uh, but back then before I had kids, I mean, it was just high stress. And I remember sitting in a hotel. We had just landed in Brazil. We'd been traveling all day. We're sitting in this hotel, and things were, I don't even remember what happened. Things were probably a little bit off kilter. And, and, and I was getting more frustrated, more frustrated, which made me be more short with teenagers and adults of let's just do this. We got to get things done. Get everybody up to the rooms and two people of our youth ministry team pulled me aside. And they said, hey, you've got to relax and take a deep breath. And I started going into what this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. And they looked at me and they said, hey, we're here with you. We got this. We're here. We've got your back. You're not doing this all alone. There's seven, eight adults. We're all in this. But if you don't let us help you, you are going to miss this trip yourself and you're going to end up hating it. And I went back to my hotel room that night and the Lord spoke through them and began even a change and a process in me. So parents and, and ministers uh, and mentors now in my life, and just some of my friends, God has brought these people along the way. And my spiritual life, where I am now, is the sum of a lot of what they've done. And so this, we're, we're leaning today, God uses relationships to grow our faith. is going to be vitally important to us as parents and as believers, but also to help our kids see the world through the lens of who they hang out with. So I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 13. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture this week. Proverbs is a collection of writings. Solomon has written most of them, if not all of them. Uh, Solomon had an opportunity. God said, hey, ask me anything, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, instead of asking for money or power, things like that, Solomon said, I want wisdom. And God said, I'll give it to you. And because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you the other things as well. And so in these Proverbs, we have these incredible bits of wisdom. And I want you to look at Proverbs 13 verse 20. We've actually preached this text before. It's so important, especially for the lives of teenagers. It says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Let's talk for a minute about walking with the wise. What does that mean? It means putting our lives and putting some relationships around us that are that are driven by wisdom, people who, are, who surround us, that, that they understand. They don't just have knowledge. They have knowledge and application. They understand the things of God, and they're doing it, and they help us connect to why. Those are people that have wisdom. And the Scripture tells us, Solomon says, hey, if you will walk with those people, if you will just spend time around people that have wisdom, you're going to become wise. That's, that's, that's a great promise. Seems pretty easy, too. We're going to look in a little bit and see that it's not as easy as we think. But, but it, it's not like, hey, if you will just spend eight years at the university studying, you can find wisdom. No, God's Word says if you'll just walk with the wise, if you'll put yourself, rub shoulders around people who understand who God is and, and apply His Word to their life, and they can help you understand why, you're going to start picking up on that, and you're going to become wise as well. I'm reading a book right now called Disney You. Uh, for a group of youth ministers that I'll meet with in a, in a week or so, and also my accountability partner. And it's the, it's the story of how Disney turned their corporation uh, into this 
in, incredible organization that people love to work for and that has this magical feel to it. In the story they talk about when Disneyland in California first opened, uh, you could go as an employee, go to train, get hired, go to training, and then after kind of a morning training, you had to find your way on your own to the costume area to get in your costume and then find your way on your own to whichever ride you're going to run. And by the end of the first day of your employment, you could literally be running the ride that people were coming on or being at work at your station. Seven years in, they said, man, that, we, we really needed that because we grew so fast. But seven years in, the, the consequences of that type of training began to show. There were morale problems. There were uh, separation between uh, people who worked rides and people who worked what they called backstage. There was just a lot of infighting. And so the leadership of Disney came back around and they created a new training program that everybody, it didn't matter if you were on the trash pickup team or if you were Snow White, everybody went through the same program, the same training to understand who and what Disney is. Part of that also became a slowed down process and no longer did they go, okay, you're done, go to costume, and you have to go figure out where it was. You were paired up with people who were good at what they did and knew how to run things. And they went and they took you and they walked you through. And they, as you're getting costume, they're explaining to you kind of the culture and the reason why you do this. And then you went to the ride that you're going to run or whatever place you're going to be stationed, and, and you learned from the best. In fact, the people who did the training often were some of the high executive, high corporate people because they wanted their passion, their belief to be passed down to the person who was even picking up trash. It's a corporate picture of the wise walking with the wise. They said, we're going to put the best around the new people so that the new people will become the best. So why not spiritually? Why not if, if we know, hey, here's where we're headed, we want to grow up, shouldn't we have some people in our life that are wise, some people that go, man, I want to be like them, so I'm going to go spend time around them. I want, I, want them, I want to learn what they do, why they do it. I want them to speak into my life. That's why these relationships become so important. The flip side is true too. Look back at verse 20. He says, the companion of fools will suffer harm. So that, that Hebrew phrase in there, suffer harm, it's, it's translated a lot of times to cry out. It's translated as broken. It's translated as destroyed. Suffer harm sounds a little bit better, right? I mean, that, that sounds, oh, paper cut, suffer harm. No, what, 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 the, what Solomon's saying here is the companion of fools will be broken. The companion of fools will be destroyed. The companion of fools will, will experience life in such a way that their, their response is to cry out. This, this is important. The, the relationships around us matter. That it's important who we're around. How many, think, think students for a minute. You can think of probably peers as well. How many stories have you heard of a teenager whose life has been utterly wrecked? And the people around him who knew him said this, ah, oh, man, he was such a good kid. Right? You know some stories like that? Yeah, he was such a good kid. So what happened? How did good kid end up doing 40 to life? If you trace back that story, as almost every one of our bad decisions for ourselves, that good kid got involved with some bad relationships. There were some other people that came in the mix because it's true that if we walk with the wise, we become wise. 
But the flip side of that is true too. If we put people around us who are of bad character, it starts to affect us as well. Think about decisions you made, the ones that you regret, maybe from your teenage years, maybe from your young adult years, maybe from last week. You realize that most of our bad decisions come from one of two things, either because we had somebody in our life who is speaking things to us or modeling things for us that were not true, or we didn't have somebody who was speaking truth into our life. We were in a vacuum. And you know, you know we don't tend to, by, by nature, move towards right decisions, right? I mean, Scripture paints a picture of us of what we call now a sin nature. We're, we're bent towards doing selfish things. So most of the time we have somebody in our life that's modeled or, or, or encouraged us that, hey, that's not that big of a deal and we've made a bad decision. Or what happens mostly for adults, we have no relationships in our life to influence us for wisdom. And so we move towards our natural bent of sin. Almost every one of our decisions we make, almost every decision your teenagers are making are being influenced by relationships, by the people around them, either growing them up in their faith or moving them the opposite direction. I want you to look at, well, actually, go to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to flip there and look at one more verse. But I, I want to I highlight this. I don't, I don't think this was the author's original intent. So this isn't something that if you take notes, you might not take notes on. It's just curious to me. I don't think he meant this, but we get two different pictures. Whoever walks with the wise and the companion of fools. The word companion in the Hebrew is, a, is a, a picture of like eating together. And if I ask you, hey, do you want to go on a hike with me? Let's go walking. Let's go, we're going we're we're to tackle Enchanted Rock. Let's go do that. If I give you that option, I give you the other option of, hey, you want to eat lunch after church today? One of those is significantly more difficult than the other. Gathering together, being companions, hanging out over a meal, that's fairly simple. We can go do and then out. But, but to walk with the wise, to go on a hike, that's, we've got to prepare. We're in it for the long run. And again, I don't know if Solomon intended that, us to get this message, but I think it's true. I think there's some truth in there that it is much easier to be a companion of fools than it is to walk with wise people because it costs us. It costs us time and energy to find that wisdom. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at one last passage, and both of these will be things we talk about on Sunday morning and hope you'll talk about it with your kids this week. Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, he says this, quotes probably from a play of his time. He says, in verse 33, a very simple verse, he says, don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself. Bad company ruins good morals. That almost sounds like it came out of like a Pinterest meme rather than the Bible, right? He says, don't, don't fool yourself. Bad company. You put yourself around foolish people. Bad company is going to corrupt good morals. The people you hang around matter. Their influence is one way or the other. Do you know that they have done, Sports Illustrated wrote an article in 2011, that they've done some research and, and there actually is, if you're a sports fan, there is such thing as a home field advantage. Teams that play at home have a significantly better chance of winning a game than teams that are on the road. Some of that probably comes from travel and routine, but they've done studies, and what they found out, though, is that like in baseball, playing on the road, the pitch velocity of a pitcher doesn't change between if they're on the road or if they're at home. Free throws in, in basketball, what you think is you have fans yelling and screaming if you're the away team. 
that away and home, the average is 75.9% free throws. It's kind of the standard of where people are at. It doesn't matter if you're home or away. And so in this research, I mean, why, why is it, what, what is it that causes this home field advantage? Because it's not, it's not a lot of things that you might think. And here's what the researchers came down to. Something that some of you have believed from the beginning of time. It's the officials. You're more likely to get a call when you're at home than you are on the road. And they, they believe the reason why is because when you are an official, even though you're supposed to be biased and objective, when you have 20,000 or 100,000 people yelling at you, or they're Longhorn fans throwing cardboard at you, I know it's embarrassing. When you have an entire group of people yelling at you, threatening your kids, calling you every name in the book, that even when you're trying to be objective, it's nearly impossible. And if you subconsciously don't see things or don't blow the whistle because your mind's already told you what the ramifications will be if you do. Isn't that crazy? So what we've learned at that is when your kids are playing basketball, yell at the officials as loudly and rudely and your kids will win. But here, here's the point. If somebody who is paid to be objective, if the integrity of the game stands in the hands of an official, and research is telling us that objectively, I mean subjectively, they don't even, subconsciously, I'm sorry, they don't even know that it's happening. They're being influenced by the people around them. How do we expect our 15-year-old who doesn't have a clue of who they are, scared because their body's transforming, they don't think they have any friends, they think their mom and dad yell at them all the time, how are they going to make it? Not just them, but us. If, a fish, if objective people, the people that you hang around with, they influence you either to grow up, to grow in your relationship with the Lord, or to stay stagnant or go the opposite direction. So we've got to start looking at our relationships through the lens of what direction they're taking us. You need to look at maybe even the place you work, the, the, the people you spend your weekends with. Are, are they... Are they, are they moving you in the direction of growth or are they moving you in an opposite direction? We've got to start thinking that way because every relationship, there's, there's no relationship that's neutral. Our relationships matter because God uses relationships to grow our faith. So I want to give you a couple ideas of, of what you can do. Last week we talked about doing is more important than knowing. And as we're processing relationships this week, here, here are three things I want you to think about. One, be intentional. Are you, or, or maybe ask the question, are you being intentional? Be intentional about placing yourself in environments where God can put you into these providential relationships. Because how, how do you find these, how do you find good relationships? Craigslist? No, no, of course not. Nobody, that, that's, that's weird. You know, if you were like, I'm looking for a good friend. In fact, the way Craigslist works, you're probably not gonna get a good friend to call. Where, where do you find relationships that move you towards the Lord you got to place yourself in environments where those relationships exist. That's why for our teenagers, for us, and what we're even trying to do in here is to, to make our small groups better, to, we, we realize the power of that. And so we've got to amp up our small groups. And that's why we would say if your small group says, hey, we're going to go eat lunch afterwards, after church together. And you need to drop everything you're doing to go do that because that's an intentional way to put you in an environment where some good relationships grow. You, you, you get involved in organizations and groups that have the people in them that, are, that would lead you in the direction intentionally towards 
a bigger faith in doing rather than knowing. You know, there may be more benefit in joining a Bible study during the week in the relationships that are there than even the study that you're doing. To have some people that, that you just start to grow and invest in and they influence you towards the Lord. For some of us, that's really easy. Some of you guys, you're, you're like people, people persons. Like, you don't even really like your small group that you're in right now and the only reason why you don't like it is because you just want to try out and meet some other people. You know, and so you're like itching, oh, I'd like to go meet them, I'd like to go meet them. Others of you, to even sit in a small group makes you nervous. The relational risk there makes you go, I just don't, I don't know. For some people, it's easy to be intentional by relationships. If it's not for you, if you go, man, I just don't naturally gravitate towards people, you, you just have to work at it and do it because you need people. It's amazing. Man and I went to a, a dinner detective date night type thing where you go to this hotel in Austin and you sit around and it's like this murder mystery thing. And, and so people sitting amongst you are, are, somebody's like the killer is in the room. And then there's other people, they're actors, uh, but then 98% of the people in the room are just like you. And they have a time where you get up and you mingle and you all have fake names and, and you talk and try to help you find some clues about some people and maybe determine who it was. So I'm a natural introvert. My wife is an extrovert. She loves people. And what was, what was crazy is when they're like, okay, get up and mingle, even for her, she was like, I don't like this. And so luckily, like, the pastoral skills kicked in. I'm like, come on, let's go. You know, and so, and then the introvert's out talking to people, introducing and trying to find some things. But even for the extrovert, for the person who loves people, meeting strangers was not easy for. That's why I highlighted the word intentional. We've got to be purposeful about it and really take evaluation of the friends we have and, and the friends that we're trying to meet. Not just for the kids down the hallway, for us. Because the friends you have are going to affect your kids as well, not just you. Here's the second thing, to be intentional. Maybe you need to be the relationship. Maybe you need to be a providential relationship for someone else. That's flipping the script here. We've been talking all morning about, hey, having relationships, but maybe there's somebody in your life that the Lord has, every time you see him, like the Lord just kind of spurs you to, to reach out to him, and you haven't because there's things going on in their life, and you don't really want to get involved. It's none of your business. Or to go up and talk to them would just seem like it would be awkward. But, but every time they're around, God just keeps kind of nudging you that direction. What if you're the person that's supposed to be the relationship, the providential relationship for somebody else? Consider that this week. Maybe that's the takeaway. Maybe some of us are, are looking for relationships. Maybe some of us have turned it upside down. And you're going to walk out of here. And your you're to-do for this week is to actually build a bridge to somebody else for their sake so that you can be the one speaking truth into their life. That would be an incredible thing. Here's the third thing. These are guys, just options, these are ideas, but find a mentor. Mentors aren't just for kids. On, on Wednesday night, I'm gonna talk to them about our mentoring track and our leadership track that have mentors. But we need them. I have two. I have one, our former executive pastor, Kurt Kriegel. Some of you might remember him. He was my boss for a while, and now he works at the children's home. I meet with him once a month, and I still meet with Dr. Jimmy Myers once a month just to have two men in my life that can mentor me, that I can say, hey, here's what's happening at home. Here's what's happening at church. I strategically have them. One guy spent his life working in the local church and a lot of those years at Georgetown, First Baptist Georgetown. You know why he's a mentor to me? 
Because when I go, church people are crazy. He goes, oh, I remember. Here's what I did. And when I go, man, I don't understand how this happens. Well, at First Baptist Georgetown, and traditionally this is how it's happened. So I've got somebody that is leading me. And there's other things he speaks to my life, but I strategically have him there because of work. And then, luckily, my other mentor I've had for years became a counselor. You know how much free counseling I've gotten? I mean, I have to buy his lunch, but it's cheaper than like 165 bucks an hour or whatever they charge. And there's times where like, we're, I've been in a, in, a, in a marital problem, and there's things that a man and I are fighting about, things that I'm like wanting to like bang my head into the wall. And it just so happens, God does this all the time. I like look, and I'm like, oh, I have lunch with Jimmy today. Fantastic. And I'm like, Here, this is what's going on. Here's what I did, and here's what she did. And I, you know, I don't know how to, what, how do I navigate this? And I've got a guy that that's, that loves me and loves the Lord and is pointing me in the right direction to be the best husband and best dad that I can be. But here's what I'd say to you about finding a mentor. Make it what you need it to be. Find an area that you, that you sense the Lord wanting to grow you in and go find somebody that can meet that need. So that doesn't mean that you need to go up to somebody. You could do this. You don't have to. You have to go up to somebody and go, hey, my takeaway this week was to find a mentor and I've picked you. That happens sometimes. A little kid get off the bus one day when David Stippick was our associate, and he walked up just out of the blue of David, and he said, hey, David, you're my mentor now, and turned around and walked off. And David went, oh, okay, I don't know what that means. But it may not be a lifelong mentor. Maybe there's a thing in your life right now that you go, hey, and you go up to somebody and say, hey, could I, could I take you to lunch sometime this week? I want to talk to you about this. And you might at the end of that lunch go, hey, could we meet again next month? Because I want to follow up on this discussion. I really want to hear what you have to say about this. It might turn into a long-term mentoring thing. But what area of your life do you need somebody to speak into to help you grow up and get after that? Find that person and do it. So I'm gonna close with one last story and then let you talk about these relationships. One of the providential relationships in my life was a guy that I barely knew until I moved to Georgetown. His name was Bob Ed Shotwell. He was a, a, a member here. He had been the uh, education pastor, minister of education at Hyde Park Baptist Church in Austin, and then retired and moved to Georgetown. Well, after he retired and he moved to Georgetown, I ended up going as the associate minister of youth at First Baptist, I mean, at Hyde Park Baptist Church in Austin. So we'd, we'd kind of passed. I was never, he was never my boss. He was never on my team. But I'd heard so much about him. I mean, the guy's like a legend. He's now with the Lord, but when he was uh, here uh, growing churches, the guy was fantastic and just a saint of a man. And we knew several different people that we had in common. We just really, I mean, we'd met maybe once or twice. And uh, came a time when the Lord was moving Amanda and I away from Austin someplace else. And we'd interviewed at a church in the Woodlands and went to that interview. And we went in thinking, man, this is great. I know people in the Woodlands, love the city, cool place. And this is probably where the Lord's going to lead us. We met with that team and they said, hey, we did the interview, and they said, hey, we want you to go over here and look at this area of town. There's a, you can look at houses there. And so we said, okay. And we walked out, and I went, you want to go to the movies? And she said, yeah, because we both knew immediately walking out of that interview, this is not where the Lord's leading us. Close that door. I get a phone call from Jim Haskell, former pastor of First Baptist Georgetown. He said, hey, we're looking for a youth minister and want to know if you would come up and interview. And my immediate thought in my mind was no because Georgetown and Austin are too close, and we have families that have students in the youth ministry in Austin that live in Round Rock, and I, I don't want to do anything. My, I don't want my move to cause this church or this youth ministry that I have been serving to suffer. 
And uh, so right before I said no, I mean, this is all happening in my mind, he said, Bob Ed Shotwell recommended that we called you. And so I said, okay, sure. I went from nope to okay, because Bob Ed was like the godfather of religious education. You don't cross the godfather, right? <laughs> he put my name in like, okay, I, I'm going to do it because I'm going to need Bob Ed later down the road probably. If Bob Ed has put my name down there, yes, I'm going. So a man and I had this conversation. I said, hey, we're going because Bob Ed Shotwell put our name in. So we're just going to have to do this interview. I mean, it's gonna, you know, we're going to get a free dinner out of it probably. Um, but it's going to be a waste of our evening. And so let's go, we'll do it, and then know that it's not going to happen. Of course, you, obviously you know how the story ends. Um, come up and interview, and God starts doing this work. And for 15 years, God has taken me and my family on a journey. We've got two kids that their spiritual life is being impacted by relationships. We have our friends. My family lives here now, a lot of it. But we have friends that take care of my kids and love my kids, that teach my kids. I have this widened circle of adults in their lives that I know are taking care of them. And I see, I see how my two kids, and it's early, 11 and 7, they're doing all right. And it's not because their parents are fantastic. It's because they've got a widened circle of people that God has placed in their life to grow them. Because God uses relationships to grow our faith. And it all happened because of a providential relationship with a man that I had only met a couple of times named Bob Ed Shotwell that changed the trajectory of my life. And here's the power of it. Changed the direction, the trajectory of generations. My grandkids will be different than they would have been because of that relationship. That's why this matters. So who is it in your life that's growing you towards Jesus. If you don't have those relationships, your takeaway is easy. Find them. Talk to them. Give some ideas how. I want to say this again. This is an easy lesson that if you're a parent of a teenager, and I know not everybody in here is, this is an easy one. This is the one that makes you want to go get them out of their small room and go, listen, we got four or five friends we got to talk about right now. We're going to talk about this person, this person, this person. Listen, before we even jump in there, before you process this with your kids, you need to process this with you and the Lord. Who do you have in your life that's helping you walk towards Jesus? Let's pray and we'll talk.